Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. You are joining us for episode 84, and today we're talking about something that often does not get addressed enough in the keto world at large. So we're talking about the importance of detox when we're doing keto. And this is something that often gets overlooked. And to be honest, it can really halt our progress and even drive some unfavorable symptoms or slowdown of our results. We'll also be tying in the hormonal influence of keto and what happens to hormones when we lose a ton of body fat and when we do it pretty quickly. So, hey, Allie. (laughs) Hey, Becky. (laughs) I think that's an awesome intro. And I was super pumped to push today's topic out here for you guys, because often I think that the concept of detox, we think of like a vegan juice cleanse. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it kind of feels like an all or nothing that if you're doing paleo or if you're doing keto, that a detox may not work within your diet or within your kind of belief system, I guess, per se. But today we're going to talk about why detox is essential for everyone, regardless of diet, and then the role of your metabolism when you're using fat as fuel and how that can actually provoke the release of toxins. So we want to be mindful of that, which is good. Releasing means you're getting out of your body, but we need to make sure that we're not just soaking in our toxins and we're actually excreting those toxins so they don't create havoc. Um, But before we get into all the nitty gritty and all the things I'm so excited to share, Uh, today we want to announce that this is final call, like legit, like we're launching tomorrow (laughs) and if you're listening to this delayed, you might've missed the call, but we do allow enrollment for one week post, um, the opening and the first day of our virtual keto program, our food as medicine, virtual ketosis program. It is 12 weeks. The first class is May 15th at 6 p.m. Central Standard, and we actually do a class every other week. I teach these live, and Becky live moderates all of your questions, and then I take a live active Q&A at the end. If you have events going on, like you're driving your kiddos around from activities and you miss it, we do archive these videos within 24 hours. And the cool thing is, as I tend to be a high-powered hose, <laughs> no different than in the podcast in my virtual program, uh, you can rewatch these videos over and over again. And the program is accommodated with a space in our private Facebook group, which is an awesome, supportive community to ensure that you get sustainable results and that you fully understand all of my approaches and have the resources that you need to make it happen. And then it also comes with 30 plus customizable materials that you can download as far as calculators for your macros, how to adjust your keto based on your state. So whether you're breastfeeding or whether you are um, in menopause or whether you are a man that's lifting weights and running marathons, we have a protocol that will work for you and we will help you understand how you can tailor it to fit your body's need while using the constructs of functional integrated medicine. 
Yes, we are so excited for this program and we've just redone a bunch of the materials as well. So even if you've done it in the past or if you were lucky enough to do an in-person keto group with us back in the day, there's always something new to learn, especially in those live classes. Allie comes up with like amazing gems. I'm like, I have never heard this before. <laughs> Pretty incredible. Um, and I'm also so excited. I've been doing a lot of keto recipe development just because I'm actively doing keto right now as well. So there's a chicken mole recipe that is coming soon that we've been eating on all this week. Um, and those recipes get provided to our, our keto group gets the first dibs. Basically they get the announcement first that there's a new recipe. Um, so I'm super excited to continue to provide those resources to you all and to continue to see you guys absolutely thrive in our keto group. Yes, for sure. So make sure you sign up literally now you can pause us and like open a new window and sign up. Uh, you have to do it through our website and then that way you'll have access to all of the course and the materials. And even if you're listening to this as an archive, you will have through the month of May to enroll in this program. Yes. And I'll post that in the show notes. Or if you literally just Google food as medicine ketosis class, we're the first one that comes up because we are very unique in the way that we present this program, present the information. And I think we'll get into a little bit more about what makes our program unique as we talk through this topic as well. For sure, because it's just what we do, whether you're in the program or not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> For sure. Okay, so let's jump into today's topic. Um, and actually, I wanted to just kind of share a little bit of clinical pearls that are so relevant to what we're talking about today. Um, so today I had two clients who are actually dealing with the exact scenario that we're talking about in this episode. And so one is this guy who's in his early forties. He started with me at 300 plus pounds. I believe it was around 310, 315. And we started keto back in August. He's now back into his high school genes. He broke 240 reduced two blood pressure medications. Hey. Cholesterol looks beautiful. I'm like, hey, success story. Um, and the other one's a woman who's gone from 34% body fat to into like well into the normal range of 24% body fat in sex, six months or less. Um, and both of them are just like killing it in terms of weight loss. Their cholesterol panels look good. They're feeling good, but they're both dealing with on you know opposite spectrums, I guess, or um, you know both in their own right, some unfavorable hormonal effects, and so the guy is seeing weight loss everywhere, but he's still dealing with a little bit of the gynomastia or the man boobs uh, and some symptoms of low testosterone. And then the lady has seen her hot flashes come back with a vengeance, and. Um, you know, both of them, I'm like, okay, time for a little bit more detox support. Yeah. Yeah. And we see it all the time and we use keto as a huge tool. Yes. Both Becky and I primarily eat in that fashion and clinically that's our go-to for weight loss, but because of the accelerated weight loss mm -hmm. that can often <laughs> create as you lose fat cells, what is stored and regulated in fat cells toxins that the liver and kidneys can't deal with and don't have time to deal with. They shunt all of those compounds into our adipocytes or our fat cells. 
And we've learned in up-to-date research that our fat cells themselves, those adipocytes, have endocrine-like properties. So that means that our fat cells actually are fun functioning as hormone glands themselves, which is super crazy. So when you're using fat as fuel, you are upregulating the process of releasing whatever was stored in that fat cell. And that's where we can see a more accelerated, not only the results, but a little bit of havoc. And sometimes that can lead to frustration and falling off, or it can lead to, like Becky said, a different or new symptom that may have otherwise been resolved. That doesn't mean that keto isn't a good fit. And that doesn't mean that you need to go start, you know, eating a bunch of carbs and pounding down some cupcakes. It means that you need detox. Mm -hmm. I think it's so, so interesting. And I think this information isn't widely spread enough. You know, keto is getting this huge reach and there's documentaries now and, you know, so many people sharing about their results, but this just isn't talked about enough um, in terms of the need for a detox. And Allie, you say once we've lost about 10% of our body weight, yeah. is that right? That's my general rule of thumb. Yes. 10% of your body weight or also if you're at a plateau, something to consider as well, because if you're at a plateau, it could be that you're having a lot of, for instance, if, if you are exposed to higher amounts of endocrine disruptors and remember that endocrine disruptors are in our perfumes, our plastics, um, and our pesticides, which basically means they're ubiquitous, like they're everywhere, right? So, I mean, because even if we're eating an organic foods diet and a local-based diet, we're probably being exposed to some level of pesticides, whether it's in our tap water, regardless of our filter, or whether it's in our produce as a residual compound or whatever. Um, but we want to be mindful that the amount of endocrine disruptors that we have in our body or that we're exposed to as we lose fat as fuel, we're going to get that disruption activity and that's what's going to set up a higher acceleration. And so at 10% body fat is enough of a time where we're probably at kind of a full tub, if you will, of toxic overload. Um, what's that comparison you say about a juice cleanse, Becky? Yeah, no, that's, that's one of my favorite things in it, you know, as someone the who- visual I like. Ran- <laughs> juice bars and advocated for juice cleanses for a long time and like personally did them and started to see them not work anymore after the first couple times. Um, I often compare it to a taking a bath in dirty bath water basically. Yeah. So taking the same bath over and over again in the same water, which is like what we did in the olden days with our babies and stuff. <laughs> and we'll talk more about what that means yeah. when we get into the details of phase one and phase two detox and the role of the nutrients that would be found in a juice, for instance, versus a true food as medicine detox. We'll get into that nitty gritty, but right. In theory, when you're losing 10% of your body weight. So it, that means that a woman that weighs 180 pounds, her first 18 pounds off, right? Um, we're talking about that person needs a detox. Or I say, if you need weight loss and you are at a plateau within two pounds for a three month period of time, you need a detox. So those are two ways to kind of ensure, or if you have significant symptoms of toxicity, those would be the three things I suppose to consider of why you need a detox. I love that. So let's talk about just kind of generally speaking, the influence of toxins in the body, kind of the, the conditions and some of the symptoms that they can drive. And um, 
why we would consider a detox, you know, nowadays, even though our liver and kidneys should in theory be detoxing all these things. Oh my gosh. And I love that. That's the kickback I I get from dietitians (laughs) and a lot of doctors is what is this detox buzz thing? Because the liver detoxes your body. It's like, well, haven't you ever heard of a panel? When you look at a liver function test, you look at ALT, your, um, which is looking at your liver transferase enzymes, your alkaline liver transferase. That's an enzyme in your liver, which speaks to toxicity when elevated, generally speaking. And you look at something when you get more detailed, like if you've had an elevated ALT, um, your doctor, or you might get sent to a hepatologist, is going to look deeper into it and run a GGT and then maybe do like an ultrasound. Um, What's interesting is GGT stands for gamma glutathione transferase. I know you guys, I'm nerdy. It's fine. Um, So what that though means is that there's actually something called glutathione, which is a nutrient, which has a direct influence on your pathway. So you can't say that a organ such as the liver is the gland of detoxification and then also use a mechanism or a lab value that looks at how the liver is functioning that is greatly influenced by a nutrient and then say that nutrients can't support a detox process. That just doesn't make any sense. So that's my two cents there. So <laughs> anyway. I love it. No, I think that's important because we do get pushed. I get it all like, the time. Like every oh, detoxes, group I'm on. Yeah. Detoxes like, woo woo and it's uh-huh. juice cleanses and it's like, guys, that's not what we're talking about. No, we're talking about actual enzymes and biochemical pathways and nutrients that drive the wheel and how you want to upregulate that process. Just like you change the oil tank in your vehicle, you need to do that for your body. So yeah, influences of toxins in the body. So we talked about why you would need to detox. Reason one, again, 10% of your body weight lost or more. Um, Reason two, plateau of weight loss if you're looking to lose weight for more than three months. Um, Reason three is symptom of toxicity in the body. So what are these symptoms or disease conditions associated with toxic overload? Um, Neurological health is the first thing that I think of. And I think that that is the first one that was really recognized in mainstream medical model as far as the influence of, again, a lot of agricultural chemicals we've seen, uh, trends to things like uh, Parkinson's disease, MS. Um, we've seen early onset of dementia or Alzheimer's. Uh, we've also seen just tremors in general or neuropathy. And then we tend to also see trends with those types of individuals from toxic exposure in the sense of endocrine disrupting compounds, driving infertility, miscarriage, um, also trending with type two diabetes and like an extreme onset because of insulin resistance. Um, So those would all be in the neurological and kind of uh, endocrine family. And then also within endocrine would be thyroid and and estrogen dominance. So increased risk of breast cancer and ovarian cancer would be within the estrogen dominance, as would be belly fat, tearfulness, depression, anxiety, uh, insomnia, hot flashes. All of that can be seen Mm -hmm. with estrogen dominance. And then within the thyroid, we can see um, increase of autoimmune activity in the thyroid gland. We can see reduced 
thyroid active hormone or increase of the stress response, that reverse T3, which is the breaks on the thyroid, which can lead to stubborn metabolism um, and or even like goiter activity in the gland um, from toxic uh, exposure or overload. And I've had actually a client that was at De Desert Storm, was in the army in Desert Storm and had to have radioactive treatment on her thyroid gland. Um, because of the exposure to the, you know, shrapnel and whatever else was in the air constantly in a warlike environment. Um, so there's huge endocrine disrupting influence from toxins. There's huge neurological influence from toxins. And then there's even structural influences. So we can see skin changes like dermatological shifts. We tend to say that the skin, of course, is the largest organ of the body. And what it's demonstrating on the outside is a very tight connection to what's going on in the gut, yes. but also what's going, for sure, right? Like candida, we tend to see um, both acne and hives and rashing, um, and even things like connections with SIBO and just dysbiosis in general. But then the same thing with toxic overload. We can see skin and dermatological concerns like eczema and psoriasis. We can see joint pain, muscle aches, myalgias, or like muscle wasting. And like I said, with the neurological function, that tingling sensation or loss of function. And things like rheumatoid arthritis, autoimmune disease in general, can be exacerbated by toxic overload. So whether that is scleroderma or arthritis or um, you know Sjogren's or fill in the blank, definitely we see a connection with autoimmune because a toxin is a stressor to the body and autoimmune disease is a result to stress overload or intolerance to stress. So that body starts to attack itself rather than understanding what to target. Um, so neurological, endocrinological, endocrinolo it's too late tonight. <laughs> That's a tough word for, I mean, it's like guys. <laughs> structural. And then also I would just last say mood, um, just generalized chronic fatigue syndrome. Um, because I mentioned the connection of toxic overload with autoimmune disease, that also means that that can cause adrenal fatigue and HPA access imbalance because Again, it's a stressor to the body. So you can't rebound your adrenals if, for instance, you're dealing with metal toxicity or you're dealing with exposure to petrochemicals or something of the liking. So good. I love all of that. And so <laughs> all the things. There's so much more. Um, way back when in the archives of the podcast, it's episode 18 and 19, guys, and I'll link to that in the show notes um, where it was much further investigated the concept of detox kind of in general, but since it's been so long, um, we've already talked about why the body needs extra detox support, but maybe let's just talk about and cover like a few of these sources of toxins, both exogenous and endogenous. Cause I think that's super interesting that we're not only looking at the environmental and outside aspect, but we're also looking at things produced within our own bodies that can be considered toxins. For sure. So, you know, I mentioned those endocrine disruptors, which again is perfumes, pesticides, and plastics. And so plastics even includes like the coating on your receipt paper or the plastics mm -hmm. that your food is stored in, that it's sitting on the grocery store shelf that you purchase, even though you might take your food out and serve it on a glass plate 
you're still getting some of that. Um, so definitely that's an entire category. And to clarify this concept of exogenous, that means outside of the body, like something that you're being exposed to. And then endogenous, like Becky mentioned, is something that your body is producing. So within your body, the toxins that are created totally wild. So there's those categories of endocrine disrupting compounds and beyond there, you know, there's 6 billion pounds of toxins released in our environment each year. I mean, it's a lot. <laughs> so mm -hmm. even if you're eating a like literally like whole clean, organic, perfect diet, you are breathing air. Um, you are drinking water at some places, even if you have a Berkeley filter or reverse osmosis, or you're getting delivery service and drinking out of glass bottles. All of those, th those things are superior and will lessen the load. But the reality is that we're all living in a dirty world. Um, so anywhere from our household agents of our cleaning products to, again, breathing air to the paint on the walls, whether they're, you know, VOC based or maybe they're low VOC, but not free of VOC, um, the packaging and the products and then the actual food, then the food itself um, with pesticides and insecticides and herbicides and then bacteria and mold contaminants in our food. Uh, looking at things like dyes and artificial flavorants and nitrites and uh, mercury and binders and fillers, things that are found in vaccines and over-the-counter medications, the chemicals that are in our dry cleaning, in our hair dyes, in our nail polish, um, they are pretty much ubiquitous. Anything we put on ourselves or consume or breathe or bathe or spray or anything <laughs> generally speaking, unless you are 100% vigilant about it, is going to have toxins. And the issue is, and I think we talked about this in our, was our last episode, Becky, the beauty one, right? Mm -hmm. Where we were talking about how the labeling, you know, in our country, we don't require labeling on cosmetics, for instance. We don't require labeling on um, household items. Right. Yeah. So, you know, there can be known carcinogenic compounds that are used beyond safe levels, but they're not regulated because they're not put in the FDA scope because they're not made for consumption. Yeah. You're not eating your lipstick. You're just putting it on your mouth. That's right next to where you're eating, you know, like, and you are, <laughs> all the you, time. you are eating your lipstick. Isn't there a whole thing about women consume like multiple pounds of lipstick per year? It's so, something I know. Yeah. yeah. You should so. know that fact, girl. Counter all the way. <laughs> yeah. So we'll put Becky's link. Um, if you love the podcast and you're looking for free cosmetics, you should absolutely follow the link in the show notes and consider switching out some of your makeup to beauty counter and using Becky's link to support her and her household and also get all of the cool things and you know all the things we'll That's also put a link to i don't wear lipstick very often <laughs> <laughs> if i do it is beauty connor it's totally true <laughs> and um also we'll put a link to speaking of kind of the scary stuff uh branch basics which yeah. is one of our favorite household cleaning products i use that for my laundry i use that for my household um, anything else, Becky, as far as resources before we move on? And then I'll talk endogenous, but um, anything else product-wise? Um, oh, wine. So, wine, oh, yeah. yeah. That's, so, we're sitting here having yeah. wine during our detox. Well, it's 1030. Um, <laughs> so it's been a long, long day. Um, but yeah, I will be also putting in the link, a uh, link to Dry Farms Wines. Um, if you haven't heard of them, 
I was at PaleoFX a couple weeks ago, as you guys know, and um, they sponsored a lot of the events. I also actually, my first time encountering them was at KetoCon last year, and their claim to fame is that they actually test the residual sugars in their wine, and they um, state that all of their wines are keto-friendly, so each glass is less than four grams of carbs, and I believe that's in a six-ounce glass, so that's cool first off because, again, Wine doesn't have a nutritional label, so you don't really know what you're getting into. You know if it's dry-ish, it's lower carb, but you don't truly know. Um, so they test for actual residual sugars. They also test for sulfites, and they keep it below a certain amount. I'm going to try to book an episode about this because I was like super into this. As you guys know, if you follow me on Instagram at AllieMillerRD, in my stories, you'll see I am a definitely glass of wine, pretty regularly type of gal. Um, and so I was really pumped to see that they test for residual uh, sulfites as well because I buy some biodynamic wines and they told me, you know, regardless, because it's grown in Sonoma in California, it's going to be exposed to sulfites from like the groundwater and such. So that would explain why sometimes I get a headache from a cleanish red wine. And I will tell you, I had a good time at Paleo Effects. I let it loose and I had zero hangover and I felt really good in my body after. So definitely worth checking out. They checked for mold, sulfites, and sugars. The three things that are really important to check for in your wine. So some products to consider as far as cleaning up your environmental exposure. And then the last thing I want to mention real briefly is endogenous toxins. So these are the toxins that your body actually makes. So this could be, like I mentioned, with the connection with our skin, it can be dysbiosis. So meaning imbalance of gut bacteria or overgrowth of yeast like candidiasis or other strains, which is candida. Um, it can also be byproducts of metabolites from drugs or food products that we're consuming that the body partially breaks down but doesn't know what to do with. So it makes something funky and that could be based on a genetic element like maybe we don't have the right conversion pathway so we create an endogenous buildup and then same thing with food allergies and sensitivities if our body is responding negatively or having an inflammatory response to a otherwise common consumed food we're going to have an endogenous toxic overload from those chemical inflammatory mediators or basically the army of chemical warfare that's attacking something that should otherwise be non-reactive. Awesome. So, so much good stuff there. I'll definitely- I just wanted a big rant. <laughs> I sure did. Um, so I'll link to all of those resources as well as a blog on toxic beauty and endocrine disruptors. And, you know, the, the summation there is that unless we live in a bubble, which none of us do, even if we move to you know, a beautiful island somewhere, there's still this influence. It's a dirty world, like Ali said. So um, generally speaking, even if not doing keto, so if you're listening to this episode and you're like, I'm not doing keto and I have no desire to do keto, we still recommend a detox quarterly for oh, sure, yeah. based yeah. on exposure. And for those of you who live in Houston, like I do, like it's a pretty dirty city. <laughs> yep. That's yeah. true. So let's get into some nerdy down the rabbit hole stuff for a minute here. Um, and then we'll come back out, hopefully the other end. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Let's talk about detox pathways in general, Allie. You mentioned the phase one and phase two of detox. So I want to just briefly walk listeners through what that all means. What happens during phase one? What happens during phase two? And what are kind of some of the, the buzzworthy elements of what's 
going on in your body as you're detoxing. Okay. So again, these are like known and acknowledged, not like hippie voodoo stuff. (laughs) These are (laughs) medically known and acknowledged biochemical pathways. I just want to make this very clear because often conventional medicine frows it Brows its eyebrow? Is that what they do? Furrow. Furrow. They furrow their eyebrow at it. And, you know, kind of hoo-ha, whatever, don't believe in it. But there are two biochemical phases of detox. The first phase occurs primarily in the liver, and it requires the processes of oxidation, reduction, hydrolysis, and hydration. Those are all big words. What that basically means is that we are turning something that was once fat-soluble that has been released in the body and converting it into water solubility. So as I mentioned, the first term being oxidation followed by reduction. That means that phase one pathways have a high demand for antioxidants and also compounds, as I mentioned, the next two words, hydrolysis and hydration, also compounds that help to make that conversion of fat solubility to water. Um, So within this pathway, we're looking at taking something that was once dormant in our body's fat stores and activating it, which actually makes it more of a free radical or a um, reactive oxygen species, um, able to do more damage in our body. And we convert it to water solubility so that it can be passed on to the phase two process to be safely escorted out of the body through our bile, which is produced by the liver, which can kind of just like soap removes uh, dirt. Bile helps to create this conjugation or basically gathering of toxins to excrete them through the stool. Or our liver is able to, in the blood, take these water-soluble toxins and pass them to the kidneys to remove through the urine in that filtration process. So phase one is all about basically activation and creating something to be water-soluble. Is that sufficient? <laughs> I think that's sufficient. So okay. it's like the stirring up or the release, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the reason why this is important with keto is that, again, in the ketogenic process, you are losing, you're using fat as fuel. So you're typically going to be, if you're looking for weight loss, you're losing more body fat, which means you're releasing more of, again, the contents of the fat cells in which there are fat-soluble toxins. And that was our comparison of that soaking in that dirty bathwater type thing. So again, like Becky said, anyone can be prone to toxic overload, but those that are getting weight loss, and even if I guess you're losing weight not on keto, you won't sure. be in the muscle-sparing mode. You might not be accelerated fat loss, but you're still losing weight. So you're still in a mode of catabolism and breakdown. And that's true across the board. My detox program is what's called hypocaloric or low calorie. And it's because you do need to be in a mode of breakdown to actually provoke the release of the toxins with loss of fat, which is also why it helps to boost metabolism. Sure. And then if you stop at phase one, that's like the dirty bath water thing is you're taking a bath in dirty water over and right. over again. So yeah. So like the phase one nutrients include, like I said, a lot of antioxidants. So we're talking about like turmeric plays a big role there. We're talking about a lot of bioflavonoids in here. We're talking about vitamin C, um, nutrients like selenium and zinc and manganese. Um, so a lot of these things can be found in like, we talked about the juice cleanse, mm-hmm. right? So if you're doing like leafy, like a, a kale juice with, I don't know, Becky, give us a juice 
example. <laughs> oh, kale and cucumber and celery and lemon and half of a green apple and maybe ginger, something bitter or yeah, some ginger or turmeric. Right. So all of those will be found commonly in a juice cleanse. And now phase two, you don't want to be soaking in that bath water. So it's actually more important that you upregulate phase two activity than it is the phase one. You need the phase one because you need to be able to process and excrete. But that's exactly what phase two is all about. So phase two has the fancy biochem influence of sulfation, gluconeration, conjugation, and methylation. That's a lot of Asians for <laughs> a late night. A lot of Asians in there. Makes me want to shimmy to it. Um, sulfation, gluconeration, conjugation, methylation. Um, and so I'm basically, like Beyonce. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Um, yeah. So um, I need some backups. Uh, so phase two reactions require, first off, they require basically amino acids, so protein-containing compounds, and sulfur-containing compounds. And that is what we are generally not seeing in a, in a juice cleanse. You know, amino acids primarily come from proteins, so like animal proteins, like mm -hmm. eggs are fantastic mm -hmm. for phase two process. When you talk about the word sulfur and you talk about the concept of a quote-unquote rotten egg, like you would smell with like a hard-boiled egg, that's sulfur, right? So the nutrients like choline and the omega-3s, but also the sulfur-containing compounds that we get in egg, for instance, is a great supporter of phase two. When we look at the nutrients required beyond the sulfur-containing amino acids, which include the fancy terms of things like, uh, let's see, glutamine would be a fancy amino acid. Um, and we're talking about then the antioxidants that are sulfur containing like cysteine and methionine and glutathione, and then the intermediary N-acetylcysteine, or some people call it MAC. Um, you know, these all kind of pair with sulfur containing amino acids and antioxidants that drive this process. And basically what happens in phase two is we encapsulate and excrete. So phase one is activation and making something water soluble. Phase two is encapsulation and excretion. And that's what actually removes the toxins from your body. Awesome. And then I think it's really important to emphasize that oftentimes it's this phase two, like you said, that's kind of neglected or a lot of people need more support with the phase two of things. Like we're getting all the antioxidants, we're eating the antioxidant rich diet, we're taking these supplements, but we're not supporting phase two, which is honestly like just as important, if not more so. Absolutely. And that's why in my 10 day detox program and in my detox supplement packs, which we we should talk about at some point. Um, you know, there's okay, good. Um, there's you know a three to one ratio of phase two support to phase one. So you actually have three compounds of my ultimate detox, which is the single name of the product, which is that sulfur-containing amino acid blend. You get three ultimate detox. You get um, one liver gallbladder supporter and one antioxidant blend all in that pack. So you have the antioxidant blend to protect from the activation of toxins in the phase one. You get the liver gallbladder to drive the phase one action on a physiological level, but then you get three of the ultimate detox, which are all that phase two support. And we've actually seen in up-to-date research that people that have influence against 
their phase two pathways. So if they have an upregulation of what's generally termed as the cytochrome P450 or a lot of these cytochrome enzymes, if they have an increase of, of cytochrome enzyme activity, but they don't have ample influence on that encapsulation excretion of the amino acids and, and the compounds that help in the sulfur, uh, they're going to be higher prone towards tumor activity and cancer because, again, they're getting that free radical overload and damage in the body. Yes, and so the detox packs for sure, and we'll get into kind of the nitty-gritty of what our 10-day detox entails. Um, and our ultimate detox support is specifically that phase two support, which is really good on, you know, as an ongoing basis for anyone who's experiencing symptoms of toxicity and maybe isn't ready to delve into a detox yeah. or someone who knowingly has some of those cytochrome P450 influence that we'll get into in a second. Yeah. And I, I personally take at least one every day. And then anytime I have more than a six ounce glass of wine, or I, if I did decide to get my nails done for a big event or anything like that, I will like quadruple down and ensure I do two at rise, two at rest for about three days of the ultimate detox to really support that pathway and that excretion. Yes. Whenever an Allie and I go out for dinner or yes. <laughs> we always have, I think our two go-tos are always digest aid comes yes. before the meal and then ultimate detox comes before the wine and after the wine. Uh -huh. So the next morning we're passing it back and forth. Definitely the next morning. Yes. And, yeah. and the GI lining support at bed. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and all the things and the probiotics and all the yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah. All of them. But, but the ultimate the detox is in there. Yeah, it is. Oh, it is. Um, so this is a giant can of worms, I know, and I don't want us to go too, too far down the rabbit hole, but let's talk about just a couple of the genetic influences of detox. So you mentioned like folks who don't have, and we may not know that we don't have this, but we might know like myself, honestly, we might know that we're more sensitive when we drink a glass of wine, we either get more drunk or more hungover than our friends or um, just have that influence of, you know, the, the increased, you know, metabolism, metabolism. Or, or not yeah. enough excretion. Yeah. So yeah. Not even to the extent of having to even run something like 23andMe, but let's talk about a couple of the really common genetic influencers. I feel like this could be a whole episode. So totally. I'll keep it brief, girl. I'll unleash you and then I'll read it. <laughs> So let's start with the cytochrome P450 is that's what the first, that's the first yeah. one I kind of mentioned or alluded to. So like I said, this is predominantly uh, targeted in the phase one enzyme activity, and that's because it creates activation essentially. So there are many different um, alleles or different genetic elements of cytochrome P450, and it can influence anything from how we metabolize hormone like estrogen or uh hydrocarbons. Uh, it can metabolize, it can influence how we metabolize caffeine. This is like, for instance, the people that can have, like me, I can have a black coffee, generally speaking, like at a, a late three course dinner, like at like 1030 with my husband or an espresso, and I can go to bed at 11 and be fine. Stress could cause more of a sleep influence for me than caffeine. So I probably have, for instance, a block on that particular cytochrome enzyme where I don't rapidly, or maybe I overly rapidly break down caffeine, but either way, I probably have some form of a SNP where that's not influencing me. 
Um, this can influence us on how we metabolize nicotine, uh, drugs like um, Cymbalta, Wellbutrin, how we influence mold, our, our removal of mold, like aflatoxins, our metabolism of blood thinners, um, so things like warfarin, uh, Plavix. Um, our role of antidepressants and antipsychotics is a whole world of study. And then most of our prescription medications will be influenced by this pathway. And this is the pathway that, and, and alcohol also, I should mention. So this is the pathway that when we're talking about, um, for instance, like a statin drug, there's HMG-CoA reductase. That's another enzyme that can be blocked. And it's important to understand anytime we have something that is influenced by a pathway, it's both how that compound is metabolized and if that compound blocks a pathway, the downstream effects. So in a nutshell, cytochrome 450 is the main one that would be like the activator, if you will. And that happens primarily in phase one. Yes. And there's a whole other world, and, and there's specific SNPs, basically, or genetic mutations per compound, mostly speaking. Then there's many influencers of phase two. So the ones that I'll just briefly mention are our GST1, um, which is our uh, glutathione S transferase. And this is a compound that plays a big role in that encapsulation and excretion, or the phase two enzymes. So again, earlier in this episode, I alluded to that GGT or that biomarker that we can test for liver toxicity. Well, you know, GST1 is one element or GST in general, there's a couple different letter uh, numbered ones, I believe. Um, GST plays a big role in that encapsulation and excretion. So people that have genetic mutations or SNPs on this, and if the term SNP is foreign to you, basically it means that you were born with dysfunction on that one pathway. And if you're interested, you should listen to the episode that I interviewed Dr. Ben Lynch and then the episode preceding that where I talked generally about um, genetics and SNPs and I'll, I'll identify a lot of those terms. Well, I'll link to that in the show notes for sure. So the epigenetics cool. one and the methylation with Dr. Yeah, Lynch. I think those were about like 10 episodes back. Um, so anyway, GST is one that plays a role with phase two and it connects to the nutrient glutathione. And then the other one that we think of as a big influencer is super um, oxide dismute, dismutase, excuse me. Um, super oxide dismutase plays a big role in free radical exposure and encapsulation and excretion. Um, it is uh, a big regulator of antioxidant function and reducing oxidative stress. So if you, for instance, long story short, if you have a genetic influence on your superoxide dismutase, which is SOD, or your glutathione S-transferase, or GST, or both, you're going to be someone that needs ongoing detox support versus doing just like a 10-day detox. And you're someone that wants to ensure that you really enhance your environment by ensuring that you use the least toxic products because you probably have higher susceptibility to toxic overload or those uh, both disease processes as well as symptoms that I mentioned earlier in today's episode. Yeah, and I think one cool thing to note is that, you know, psychiatrists are actually starting to use some of that testing of the cytochrome P450 in terms of what antipsychotics or what antidepressants would work yes. best for certain patients. It's so, so cool. 
That and along with, I've seen a lot of patients come to me with their MTHFR genes Mm -hmm. identified and such. Now, the interesting element to just take into account is we can't take it too myopic. You know, we can't just like um, tunnel vision it and say, oh, you know, you have this MTHFR gene, so you need a lot of folate in a methylated form. Um, For instance, there's a medication called Deplin, which Uh is a 15 uh, milligram high dose methylfolate. Um, that's really, really, really high. And we don't want to dumb down our genetics to a one instrument show. It is a symphony, right? So we need to be mindful that we take this into account and we may not want to prescribe something that would be uh, metabolized inappropriately or drive toxic compounds. So that's helpful. But we also don't want to say, oh, this is low, you need this. We want to support the pathways. And that's where something like Ultimate Detox is much more widely scoped it has over eight different uh, sulfur-containing amino acids versus just one. So you're not just kind of shooting one direction. You're giving more of a multifactorial, broad brush, if you will, of the pathway that's hindered. Right, exactly. And that's something I think we get to a lot in the episode with Ben Lynch is that you can dig into your 23andMe and you can run it through Genetic Genie and you can know all these things about your body that most people walking around don't know. But at the end of the day, it comes down to cleaning up the diet, cleaning up the environment, and maybe providing a little bit of extra support based on your genetics. Or you know something like a detox is something that covers broad spectrum whether or not you have these mutations. Right. So you don't need to invest. You don't on need the to dig. <laughs> Just do it. You need to do it regardless. Right. Yeah. yeah. Totally. So potentially, don't pick up that rock because it's a big one. <laughs> it is. It's heavy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about some of these nutrient influencers of detox. We mentioned the antioxidant support as well as the uh, sulfur-containing amino acid support. Let's just go a little bit deeper in terms of what foods and what compounds we're talking about here. Food as medicine in detox support, perhaps. Oh, yes. yes. <laughs> so yeah. So let's start bioflavonoids. So um, bioflavonoids, plant-based compounds, right? So this includes your whole color spectrum, eating the rainbow, right? This is going to get us things like anthocyanins, which are in the purple or dark blue pigment. We're going to get isoflavanones. We're going to get our um, quercetin. We're going to get a whole array of different plant-based antioxidants. And the best way to ensure we're doing it is eating the skins of the fruits. That's actually, generally speaking now, we want to choose these fruits and vegetables to be organic if we're consuming the skin, right? Because they're going to have high exposure. But remember the whole concept of organic is best regardless, because even if you peel away that skin, the plant pulled from the soil into the plant matter and produced the fruit with that toxic compound. So you're not necessarily free based on the skin and the skin is where a lot of the nutrients live. So it's important to do that. You also get more fiber, which helps to bind and excrete the toxins. And we've seen in research that bioflavonoids in general can have anti-inflammatory effects, of course, antioxidant effects, and can even be seen in studies to help to stop the growth of tumor activity in the body. We see that they enhance vitamin C activity, which is kind of the baby antioxidant that drives the bus. And we've seen that bioflavonoids can even, within, with their anti-inflammatory benefits, help with bone and joint pain, like a lot of case studies with uh, arthritis and such. And they can help with histamine reactivity and seasonal allergies, as well as virus. So there's tons of benefits of bioflavonoids, 
one of my favorite things to recommend to people is to use the pith, the white furry fiber of their citrus. There's something in it called rutin. And um, if you're zesting your citrus and adding that to like, for instance, rooibos tea, rooibos tea is African bush tea or red tea uh, or green tea and zesting some citrus into that not only adds a punch of flavor, but you're getting a lot of bioflavonoids. So awesome way of getting that bang for your buck and still staying lower carb. Um, awesome. I think our um, adrenal adrenal rehab shake or yeah, it's just a <laughs> peel lemon and it keeps the white and uh huh exactly. So I'll link to that one as just an cool. example of how you could use the pith of lemon in a smoothie. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And the zest, I, I, we do in a couple smoothies and shakes and things like that too. And then other nutrients we think of specific for like liver support. So cymilarin, which is the active component in milk thistle. So, you know, milk thistle seed, um, which uh, is available in supplement form, also in some teas. Um, green tea in general has that EGCG compound. Um, and so that's been shown to have high antioxidant capacity. Water crests. And then um, also chlorophyll tend to be really great supporters of the detox process. Um, we look at things like artichoke in the same family. It has both uh, that diuretic influence, as does asparagus and the watercress I mentioned. So it helps to remove excess body fluid. And with that, it should drive that filtration and support the liver. Um, so all of those are fantastic options. And then I think I already kind of hit those sulfur compounds. So NAC, glycine, methionine, taurine, all these are going to be found in different, generally speaking, protein-containing compounds. Um, and those are the ones that really drive that phase two detox support. So my 10-day detox has animal protein eight of the 10 days. And the two days that it does not have is more of a challenge for you to really focus on getting enough of your plant-based fibers and antioxidants and really just kind of switch up your program when you're increasing the supplements. And I want you at that time to be least calorie hit to really be in that kind of breakdown mode. Um, and you're getting enough of the nutrients from the supplement packs that we don't need that in the diet. But generally speaking, my entire 10 day detox, you're chewing, don't worry, you're eating real food. And a majority of it, you're eating things like grass fed steak and wild caught salmon and things like that throughout. And of course, eggs. Yes. That's such like a mind blow for so many people. They're like, wait, I can still have my pasture raised bacon in here. I'm so confused. I know. I, know. I can still have my eggs. And of course, you know, for skin concerns or eczema or something like that, we might eliminate the eggs just to kind of test the waters. But yeah. generally speaking, it's, it's pretty great compared to the juice cleanses that are out there. <laughs> pretty or anything and freaking fantastic. <laughs> yes. We just yes. eat real food. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So let's take it back and um, circle back on keto and talk a little bit about why the type of ketogenic diet you do actually matters. Cause there is, you know, this kind of mainstream keto and not to, to harp on, you know, any particular person or school of thought, but there is, you know, mainstream keto where it's like we're buying whatever chicken breast is on sale from Costco and eating that, or maybe it's chicken thighs at least. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about why it matters to look at the quality and look a little bit more in depth into a ketogenic diet in general. 
Yeah. And especially, I think I like your mention of chicken um, or just animal protein in general. Uh, you know, be mindful that there's this concept. We, we think of it very clearly in the sense of fish, but there's mm-hmm. this concept of uh, bioaccumulation, which basically means that if a animal is exposed to a toxin, they're going to accumulate it in their fat. And then if you're consuming their fat, which is in their protein, predominantly speaking, um, you know, like a ribeye or from a conventional cow, uh, you're going to be getting the toxins that they were exposed to in their GMO corn feed and in the sprayed grasses that they're ranging on and in the growth hormone that they're providing, all of the things um, are going to be bioavailable and accumulated in their byproduct or what you're consuming. Um, And that's what we think of in the fish example of, you know, like tuna is a large fish, so it has more mercury. Well, yeah, because it's eating smaller fish and that's bioaccumulating in it. So we need to be really mindful of that. And clean proteins is really a first emphasis of where you should start. So if you're eating a paleo or keto diet and, you know, Paleo likely is higher protein than the ketogenic diet, but generally speaking, some people do carnivore keto, you know, so regardless, you need to make sure that your protein is super clean, meaning grass fed, pasture raised, and in an environment that is chemical free and hormone free. I think that that's really essential and important. Yeah. And and like Wendy's or McDonald's keto. No, (laughs) no guys, just no, I'm sorry. It's really funny. I was, um, I was actually out of town last weekend and I was, uh, staying with my family members. I was just in like a 36 hour visit, uh, for a funeral, um, for my grandma. And I was trying to be low maintenance and my mom was like, okay, so Aunt Alice and Aunt Mary are really stressed out. I stayed one night at each of their houses. <laughs> She's like, oh, they both bought you organic berries, you know, blah, 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 like in the list, you know, <laughs> like, went out of their way. Like, okay. And my aunt's like washing romaine and she's like, no, this isn't organic. Is this going to be okay? And like, you know, there's also the real life factor that I do what I can 99% of the time. And when there's a scenario like a funeral and I'm trying to not stress people out, I'm going to figure it out. So in that sense, I actually put on my Instagram <laughs> pictures of, two romaine leaves with um, deli ham or turkey, I think, and a slice of cheese. And I was like, this is how you low maintenance keto. And I had so many people commenting about like, I've never seen you eat deli meat. What is this? Da, da, da. And so it's funny. It's, it's so not a norm, you know? And, right. and if I do eat any form of deli meat, it's going to be an in-house roast that is free of, of course, nitrates and um, the preservatives and additives like binders and fillers. Even the Applegate, um, which is the organic products of deli meat, are going to have different binders and additives. So I try to avoid all of that at all costs. Um, so clean protein is really important. Next thing would be, of course, choosing organic with your produce and then having a diet that has enough vegetable and antioxidants. So sometimes when you keto, like Becky said, if you're just doing um, the patties at Burger King, not only is it low quality meat, but you're getting like iceberg sad lettuce if you're even trying to eat it and maybe some like yellow tomatoes that aren't ripe. Um, And so, you know, I often use also the hashtag of more vegetables than a vegetarian and Uh you can eat keto and you can use zoodles and you can use 
we put in our protocol of our virtual keto program, our food as medicine program, two to three cups of leafy greens every single day because leafy greens have that whole array of the antioxidants of the color spectrum. So that's super important. We also use nut flours like almond flour and nut butter. We use nut so nut butter. We talk about that all the time with like the chia seeds and the pumpkin seeds and the Brazil nuts in there. So getting a good array of minerals and um, the polyphenols in there. We're getting sulfur from our cauliflower-based pizza crust and our Brussels sprouts with bacon slaw and our uh, broccoli. What was that broccoli dish you just put on the blog two weeks ago? Broccoli, uh, broccoli cheddar gratine. Is that how we say it? I'm not right. I think (laughs) gratin. We're we're in Texas, guys, but gratin or gratin. Yeah. Yeah. Broccoli with no breadcrumbs and a lot of cheese. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, a lot of people, if you need to go dairy free, that's fine too. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a whole episode on that. Um, but yeah, you know, there, there's, it's all about real food. It's all about getting sulfur from the sulfur containing vegetables and antioxidants from the leafy greens and a moderate or small amount of berries and then fiber from your nuts and seeds and then all of those vegetables and such and clean proteins. Yes, I think. So, so important to emphasize. And that's really what sets our program, again, not to harp on it, but really what sets us apart. And we talk a lot about that as well in the episode with Allison. I'm going to butcher her last name. Is it Ganae or Gannett? I can't remember. (laughs) I think either or. Same, just like Groton and (laughs) Gratine. Sorry, Allison. Um, But hey, if you're listening, um, we talk about keto and cancer in that episode and how, you know, in her protocol, she's doing pumpkin and nine, 10 cups of oh, yeah. super high antioxidant veggies that she grows herself. And that's really what we're trying to hone in and get back to. Absolutely. Same page for sure. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So let's kind of wrap this in and, and bring it all together. Um, one question that I get a lot is um, looking at our 10-day detox, and I suppose we should talk about our program a little bit and and what that all entails, but looking at our 10-day detox protocol and the supplement packs that were developed for that, a lot of folks who are already doing keto are like, oh, well, the detox protocol is not necessarily keto. There's some carbs in here. There's beans. There's sweet potatoes. There's a smoothie with berries in it or something. Uh, how can they modify, you know, continue to do keto and modify our detox resources? Or do you recommend actually taking that break from keto and kind of going back in? Let's talk about that. Yeah, I think it's kind of a choose your own adventure pathway. I think that there are benefits of getting your fiber above 30 grams. And you can't do that unless you're getting over 50 grams of total carbohydrates, even if you're eating really high, high fiber based carbs. And that's why some people do net carbs. Remember when we do 30 grams of carbs of keto, we're doing total grams of carbs. So if you're doing net carbs, you know, you can still very easily follow our protocol and still stay pretty close to quote unquote keto. But yes, some of the foods may feel foreign or outside of what your norms are. Um, and so again, um, we're really focused on fiber during a detox to help to bind and remove, um, this really helps with that bioflow. This really helps with the conjugation and excretion. And so I do, I actually am not a big legume eater, but when I do a 10 day detox, I incorporate legumes 
or beans, fancy term. And um, I soak them overnight. And then I use kombu or a sea vegetable uh, that helps to break down the phytates or the compounds that cause uh, gas and bloating and have those anti-nutrients. Now, if you're someone that has an intolerance to beans, Yes, you can omit those and you can sub those for another sulfur-containing vegetable. So you could sub out cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, um, cabbage slaw or something of the sort. Um, also in the sense of like the sweet potato, you know, berries on their own, likely you can still absolutely stay in a traditional keto diet. Sweet potato, likely not. That's classified as a starchy vegetable. But the other concept is that if we're really driving particular pathways in the liver, remember that your liver produces ketones. So there is some element of uh, focus on maybe taking a momentary, I'm talking within your detox, maybe three of your 10 days or those two days that you're not eating animal protein, or just for even four days within the 10-day spectrum of doing a little bit of a carb cycle. You can also check in on how your body feels, where your metabolism is at, but you're going to get probably a little bit higher fiber and you might allow your liver to take a break from producing ketones and upregulate the cytochrome P450, the GST, and the SOD pathways and um, get a better bang for your buck for the detox element. So I think generally speaking, it's worth giving it a try. If you have a bad experience doing that, like you get shaky, you get blood sugar issues, you get binge eating, then next time you do the detox, just do some strategic swap outs and follow the rest of the protocol. And that's totally fine too. Yeah, I think there's you know a handful of recipes, maybe six out of the twenty that include yeah. carbs. So anyone I do this with that wants to stay tight keto, very very easily can. And that's super interesting. I'd be curious to like do a teach a detox and be at the same time measuring my blood ketone levels and see mm -hmm. kind of where things fall in that yeah. spectrum of time. Yeah. Really good nerdy rabbit hole that we're not going down. Right now. No. Oh, no. no. So no. yeah, let's briefly talk about our detox. So, so we do use, like I said, it's kind of a bell curve and we use these packs. Basically they have five supplements in them. So it's comprised of three ultimate detox pills, one uh, antioxidant blend and one liver gallbladder phase one supporting compound. So you get your phase two, your phase one and an antioxidant compound. And as you go up the, um, bell curve, you start with two packs a day. And then as you're at days five through eight, you're taking three packs a day. And um, generally speaking, it is all whole food, antioxidant based. Again, most of the days can allow those clean proteins, which are hormone, antibiotic free and pasture raised. And we want you to get about 60 plus grams of protein, upwards of 80 grams of protein a day, kind of going to depend on your body composition and your need. Um, but we want to maintain your lean body mass as you are burning your body fat, continuing during your detox and driving the excretion of the compounds released from the fat. Um, so we also use our grass-fed whey as a supporter in the detox because grass-fed whey, and Becky will put a link of that into the show notes, um, Grass-fed whey not only helps to support our immunological health and our gut function, but it also is a great rich source of glutathione, this granddaddy antioxidant that I've alluded to a couple times that helps to support that phase two activity. So it's going to help to support your lean mass while you're losing weight in the detox, and it's also going to drive detox process itself. 
And then our detox is higher fiber. So I think that that's a benefit. Um, we focus on ample fluids because obviously if we're talking about filtering through the liver and the kidneys, we need to drive the fluid so we're not pounding the screen of the filter. Um, so we're looking at a minimum of half of our body weight and fluid ounces and then some during our detox protocol, but separating our fluid intake from our meal so we don't dilute our stomach acids. We even go into the details of a probiotic source. Uh, we talk about uh, enzymes. We talk about leaky gut. And my detox has three R's in its approach, and it's reset your metabolism, restore your digestive function, and renew your cellular health. So in the reset, we're talking about things like that help to rev your metabolism, like capsaicin, like spicy components of, of peppers. In the restore your digestive health, we're talking about probiotics and enzymes and Bragg's apple cider vinegar and, and liver boosters and things like that. And then in the renew your cellular health component, we're talking about really that encapsulation and excretion and that phase two enzyme activity. And then I think one other really cool element to mention, even if you're already doing, you know, keto 2.0 and you're incorporating most of these things or you're eating, you know, a perfect naturally nourished approved diet, we talk also about some of the lifestyle elements of things like oil pulling or yep. bringing in an apple cider vinegar shooter or some hydrotherapy with the hot, hot, hot and cold, cold, cold in the shower the sauna, the sauna yeah. you want to buy. <laughs> yes, exactly. Byron, Brady, can you hear us? Uh -huh. <laughs> yes. Uh, but elements that even beyond the 10 days that you do this detox, you could take away and incorporate into your day-to-day -to, -day to continue to support detox ongoing. Absolutely. And that's what I say actually every time I personally and a client does the detox is I say, you know, I, I talk to them about their process and then we say, okay, of this time around, what's one or two things you're going to keep in? Like maybe it's like, you know what? I felt awesome. My skin looks so good by drinking all that water. I'm going to keep a goal of keeping my water intake up, right? Or what's another thing you're going to keep in? I really liked having that green smoothie. I'm going to do a green protein shake uh, twice a week. Or, um, you know, I really liked buying my proteins at the farmer's market. So keeping one or two behavior changes in and then pulling one or two things out <laughs> every time you do a detox, it's this onion layering effect where you're just kind of one detox at a time, peeling a layer and changing your perspective of food as medicine and what your approach to your day-to-day -day diet and lifestyle is. I love that. That's such a good little clinical pearl that I used <laughs> too. <laughs> Stole that one from you. Mm -hmm. uh, so okay. let's round it out and just... Um, call out to listeners a couple of our favorite detox friendly recipes for sure you know if we're just looking to get our palate wet if we're not going down the rabbit hole of a detox quite yet just kind of want to try out some of the recipes that we have out there what are your top couple yeah i think one of my favorites that we use like in many tv segments and uh like open houses or lectures is my avocado detox soup um, it's just fantastic. And avocado is a great source of our glutathione. It's also a great source of soluble fiber. 
and it's a good source of vitamin E. So it gives us good antioxidant as well. And um, it's avocado and cider vinegar and garlic. So you're getting the sulfur containing compounds, a little bit of onion in there. And it has some capsaicin or spicy components uh, from the pinch of cayenne in there. And it's a blender-based uh, soup, super easy. You can add collagen or my grass-fed whey to make it a complete meal or even like shred rotisserie chicken on top or uh, fish. And it's, it's just, I think, a really fantastic user-friendly approach to what detox can be like. Awesome. And then I think I would throw in the, either the kale avocado salad. <laughs> Definitely. Oh, yeah. yeah. I love a good massaged kale salad. I'll never yes. that. Either that or the kale cannellini. And in both cases, we're getting that base of massaged kale. Um, and then with the kale avocado, you're getting glutathione from both the avocado as well as we add some cumin. Cumin. Mm-hmm. Lime and a little so bit cumin, of- cumin, and I've also had. I a know. Call it cumin. <laughs> oh, that's a new one. I was like, um, what, sir? Cumin? No. <laughs> so yeah, that's Any definitely one of my favorites. Not to go too hard on the avocado, but no cumin. Yeah, cumin, cumin for sure is a fantastic source of glutathione and N-acetylcysteine, as are onions uh, for N-acetylcysteine, and that's where we also tip into like quercetin. Um, but yes, both of those salads are our favorites as well. So you definitely can chew and feel satiated. You will not be hungry on my 10 day detox. I will promise you that. And you get to add protein to your salad. So it's amazing all good, guys. Yeah, <laughs> totally. No one's complaining in your household at all. No, no. Um, so we'll link to all of the resources that we're, we've talked about today, including our 10 day detox as a virtual program. We have it as a DVD. We also just have an ebook. If you prefer whatever format you prefer, um, we'll link to the detox supplements that we've talked about, the grass fed way and all of the amazing resources that we have available on our website for you guys. So you can start wherever you're at and delve into detox, whether or not you're starting keto or halfway there, or you've lost, you know, many, many pounds in keto, there's something there for you for sure. And even if you're not keto, and if you are again, (laughs) same thing on that whole spectrum, if you're a novice, if you've heard the term, you don't know what using fat as fuel is all about, or you measuring your ketones at the blood meter or a breath meter and you're killing it, but you want to take food as medicine to the next level, grab your spot right now in our virtual ketosis program. There's only a couple left. Go to AllieMillerRD.com uh, backslash ketosis hyphen class and sign up. And if you choose the 199 bundle, you will get both eBooks of Eat Fat Get Skinny and the Ketogenic Kickstart. And then final announcement, um, if y'all are loving the content we're putting out there for you, first off, we are so grateful to do our work and share the message even at 11.28 p.m. (laughs) And, um, you know, just take a moment if you can to pop over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review and a sentence or two that really helps with algorithms. And pretty soon I'll be announcing the release of my next book, The Anti-Anxiety Diet. Um, So you could probably, if you're listening to a a later recorded uh, episode, jump over to Amazon and leave me a book review as well. When you guys review on third-party sites, that's what really helps to spread the message and all of the good work that we're doing and bring food as medicine to the masses. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. 
Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.